Section 5 of Trips in the Life of a Locomotive Engineer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Trips in the Life of a Locomotive Engineer by Henry Dawson. Burning of the Henry Clay. There is one reminiscence of my life as a railroad man that dwells in my memory with most terrible vividness, one that I often think of in daytime with shuddering horror, and in the night, in dreams of appalling terror, each scene is renewed in all the ghastliness of the reality, so that the nights when I dream of it become epochs of miserable, terrible helplessness. It was on a clear, bright day in August. The fields were covered with the maturity of verdure, the trees wore their coronal of leaves perfected, the birds sang gaily, and the river sparkled in the sun, and I sat upon my engine, looking ahead mostly, but occasionally casting my eyes at the vessels on the river, that spread their white sails to the breeze, and danced over the rippling waters, looking too graceful to be of earth. Among the craft upon the river I noticed the steamboat Henry Clay, Another and a rival boat was some distance from it, and from the appearance of things I inferred that they were racing. I watched the two as closely as I could for some time, and while looking intently at the clay, I saw a dark column of thick black smoke ascending from her, amidships, just back of the smoke pipe. At first I paid little heed to it, but soon it turned to fire, and the leaping flames like serpents entwined the whole of the middle portion of the boat in their terrible embrace. She was at once headed for the shore, and came rushing on, trailing the thick cloud of flame and smoke. She struck the shore near where I had stopped my train, for, of course, seeing such a thing about to happen, I stopped to enable the hands and passengers to render what assistance they could. The burning boat struck the shore by the side of a little wharf right where the station of Riverdale now stands, and those who were upon the forward part of her decks escaped at once by leaping to the shore. But the majority of the passengers, including all of the women and children, were on the after part of the boat, and owing to the center of the boat being entirely enwrapped by the hissing flames, they were utterly unable to get to the shore. So they were cooped up on the extreme after end of the boat, with the roaring fire forming an impassable barrier to prevent their reaching the land and the swift-flowing river at their feet, surging and bubbling past, dark, deep, and to most of them as certain death as the flames in front. The fire crept on. It drove them inch by inch to the water. The strong swimmers, crazed by the heat, wrapped their stalwart arms about their dear ones and leaped into the water. Their mutual struggles impeded each other. They sank with words of love and farewell, bubbling from their lips, unheard amidst the roar of the flames and hiss of the water, as the burning timbers fell in and were extinguished. Women raised their hands to heaven, uttered one piercing, despairing scream, and with the flames enwrapping their clothing, leaped into the stream, which sullenly closed over them, 
Some crawled over the guards and hung suspended until the fierce heat compelled them to loose their hold and drop into the waves below. Mothers, clasping their children to their bosoms, knelt and prayed God to let this cup pass from them. Many, leaping into the water, almost gained the shore, but some piece of the burning wreck would fall upon them and crush them down. Some we could see kneeling on the deck until the surging flames and blinding smoke shrouded them and hid them from our sight. One little boy was seen upon the hurricane roof, just as it fell. Entwined in each other's embrace, two girls were seen to rush right into the raging fire, either delirious with the heat or desirous of quickly ending their dreadful sufferings, which they thought must end in death. And we upon the shore stood almost entirely powerless to aid. Death shrieks and despairing cries for help, prayer and blasphemy, all mingled, came to our ear above the roaring and crackling of the flames, and in agony and the terror of helplessness we closed our eyes to shut out the horrid sounds. The intense heat of the fire rendered it impossible for us to approach near the boat. The many despairing creatures struggling in the water made it almost certain death for any to swim out to help. No boats were near, except the boats of a sloop which came along just as the fire was at its highest and were unable to get near the wreck because of the heat. The scene among the survivors was most terrible. One little boy of about seven was running around seeking his parents and sisters. Poor fellow. His search was in vain, for the scorching flames had killed them, and the rapid river had buried them. A mother was there, nursing a dead babe, which drowned in her arms as, with almost superhuman exertions, she struggled to the shore. A young lady sat by the side of her father, lying stark and stiff, killed by a falling beam, within twenty feet of the shore. A noble Newfoundland dog stood, sole guardian of a little child of three or four, that he had brought ashore himself and to whom we could find neither kith nor kin among the crowd. His dog, playmate of an hour before, was now the savior of his life and his only friend. I left the scene with my train when convinced that a longer stay was useless, as far as saving life went. I returned that afternoon, and the water had given up many of its dead. Twenty-two bodies lay stretched upon the shore, but one in a coffin, and she a bride of that morning, with the wedding dress scorched and blackened and clinging with wet, clammy folds to her stiff and rigid form. Her husband bent in still despair over her. A little child lay there, unclaimed. His curly flaxen hair that, two hours before, father and sisters stroked so fondly, was matted around his forehead and begrimed with the sand over which his little body had been washed to the river bank. His little lips, that a mother pressed so lately, now were black with the slime of the riverbed in which he went to sleep. An old man of seventy was there, sleeping calmly after the battle of life which for him culminated with horror at its close. 
In short, of all ages they were there, lying on the sand, and the scene I shall never forget. Each incident, from the first flashing out of the flame to the moment when I, with reverent hands, helped lay them in their coffins and the tragedy closed, is photographed forever upon my mind. End of section 5. Read by E. M. Allen.